From Accord, this is From Vendorship to Partnership, a show where we dive into the realities of scaling B2B startups. Join our host, Ross Rich, this season on The Seller's Journey as he chats with today's top sales leaders about building winning playbooks, scaling teams, and partnering with customers. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the next episode of From Vendorship to Partnership, Season 2, Seller's Journey. Today, we have an awesome guest. We have Christian, VP of Sales from Captivate IQ, one of the breakout companies the last few years, and really excited to get some of the learnings from uh, Christian's experience. So I'll pass it over to you to do a quick intro, and we can dive right in. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ross. Uh, thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Uh, like I said, Christian, I lead the sales org at Captivate IQ. We're about uh, 100 folks now in the go-to-market org in the incentive compensation space. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if you haven't heard of Captivate, feel free to check them out as we dive in here. But first question, one of my favorites, what do most people get wrong when it comes to sales at startups, Christian? Yeah, I think of two things that come to mind. Um, the first one maybe goes against kind of conventional wisdom and maybe what you guys did, Ross. But I actually think some companies try to force founders being heavily involved in either doing sales or driving sales for a little bit too long. I think it's important in that kind of an initial batch of customers, definitely if you're really in a beta stage, but I think it's really important. It's probably uh, self-serving, but one of the best things that we did early on was have me and then a couple other folks that were dedicated to just sales. The thing with founders is we've got a lot of other things to worry about. It's great to have people that are specialized, just focus on you know, hitting that monthly number, hitting that lead goal, revenue goal, whatever it is, and make sure that they can kind of dedicate full focus to just iterating and growing the business. The next thing is also seen and talk to early stage companies where they think that they need to perfect everything from day one in terms of their playbook. I think it's really important. Just get out there, move quickly, have folks that are going to work really hard and just kind of, um, you know, work the phones and crank through a lot of demos, whatever, and just iterate from there. You don't need to be perfect. I definitely listen to our earliest gong recordings and cringe over some of the things we said or did, but it's, uh, it was important that we were just trying to get kind of 1% better on every single call and just use that as a way to get to market quickly, learn, gather uh, data. And what we found was some of the things that we really didn't think were going to work well were part of the uh, some of the best parts of our actual kind of sales motion. So I think you just got to kind of move fast and iterate. Yeah, I think the overall theme there for both, you know, having folks step into 110% dedicate themselves to the sales side of things outside of just a founder and um, to kind of, like you said, don't perfect things. Perfection, you know, is, is probably the opposite of what you want to focus on in the super early days. Um, similar theme there. Just follow up question on, on the initial part, since this is a question we get a lot is, you know, when's the right time to bring in folks that are solely dedicated to sales and to not necessarily have the founder on every call. Is there like some rough heuristics that you have, like, hey, at least, you know, 10 deals if it's mid-market or SMB type deals, or at least two, you know, larger deals that are closed, or you know, what is that for for you? Yeah, I think the the first, yeah, depending on kind of segment, the first maybe five or so customers should be closed by the founders. For us, it was the first five customers that were closed while our three founders were still in Y Combinator. Mm -hmm. But from then, I think you can start hiring people. And that doesn't necessarily mean you need to hire an out and out, you know, CRO or VP of sales from, from day one, but you also maybe shouldn't hire a first time AE, somebody oh. in the middle, somebody that maybe has kind of a, an athlete, uh, kind of startup athlete type background. Um, and can just iterate and figure it out. 
I think uh, another mistake here is when founders wait till they've got product market fit to hire out a sales org. At that point, it's too late. And in this market, you've probably got five competitors that were all born and started scaling in that time that you're waiting for, for fit. So I think after the first five, that's when you want to get somebody uh, dedicated just to sales. So, and I completely agree with you on the leveling there. You definitely don't want someone who isn't going to be excited to be hands-on day one at that point of five or 10 deals closed. It's not about building up the team at that stage. It's about what did we do to win those five deals? What are people saying? How do we just move quickly and, and build on that? Um, and you also don't want to have to train on someone to firstly, how to be a professional and just work, but also learn how to have these conversations. So I, I like that kind of mix. Maybe it's someone who's been a, a team lead and a top AE. Maybe it's someone who just started managing, but hasn't really gotten to that you know, director VP level. I think spot on. Cool. Well, yeah, well, changing absolutely. gears a little bit and to talk about building winning sales processes and playbooks. Curious to get your thoughts on how do you think about building a winning playbook at an early stage startup? Yeah, I mean, like I said before, a lot of it is just around building and iterating. I think you've got to obviously got to have a, a product that meets uh, meets a need, solves a pain for customers. You don't need to be doing something that's totally unique and new. I think a lot of the best companies out there are actually not creating new categories, but redefining existing kind of sculpting existing categories that are just plagued with enterprise software or stuff that's frequently done um, just in spreadsheets. Yeah. And what makes up this playbook to yeah. you, like specifically, like what are what are some of either the documentations or things that you see when you have, even if it's that 70%, 60% type thing at the start that you'd say, okay, you have a team of maybe it's two to five to 10 reps that can kind of run with that loose structure. Yeah. I mean, I think things you've got to get down first is not even the deck itself, but just start with the talk track. Who are you? What's kind of the vision and mission of the company? What are you trying to achieve? Because you need to give buyers a way to understand what box to put you in, even if that's a totally new box and you're covering different categories, whatever, but you don't want to be uh, pitching that software. People come away from the, the pitch, not really understanding exactly what you do or who to think who to think about you next to. I think that's kind of a problem with some of the the new uh, vendors coming out of there. A lot of these kind of high flying funded startups is they don't have specific use cases. So you see a pitch and say that sounds like cool technology and it's a great pitch, but I don't understand what exactly you're you're solving uh, in terms of my my pain. Totally. Um, so you've got to yeah. just be specific there and tell people how they should think about you in the talk track and then map your deck and your demo to, to go along with that. Awesome. And then another follow-up question in terms of building these winning sales processes and playbooks, when do you know that something in the process isn't working? Either you know maybe you're not converting a great inbound interest to deals and closing them. Maybe it's you're closing them and for some reason they're losing velocity, not going live. Curious to know kind of how you think about iterating on that initial playbook. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think you've got to do the exact opposite of what I always want to do, which is just make kind of gut decisions, gut calls. Everything has to be rooted in data. And to give a, an example of this, we had a, a rep on the team that just had a different style than our first maybe five, 10 uh, reps. And I was on a, a couple calls with this rep and it just, it didn't, feel right. It didn't kind of jive with what I thought the rest of the team was doing, what we should be doing. And I kind of bit my tongue, waited, and turns out this rep within six months had the highest win rate on the team. So you've got to really just look at the data, track everything you can, test, iterate, and specifically hire for diverse backgrounds and skill sets and just selling styles, Mm -hmm. and then see what the data tells you. And then 
don't argue with the data, do exploration, do kind of testing, see if there's controls that you need to uh, break out, but the data is not gonna lie if things are working or not working. And curious to hear what was that difference that they were doing if you're able to share. Just absolutely relentless uh, follow-up to the point of kind of not so much hounding, but really being on top of customer, really believing deeply in kind of mutual action plans and that kind of stuff, never shying away from uh, maybe bugging somebody in pursuit of maintaining a, a solid rapport. Mm -hmm. And this person really didn't uh, spend a lot of time on kind of that fluffy rapport building, build a relationship. Hey, how are you doing? How's the weather? How's vacation? But being really transparent about, you know, why we're on the call today, what we're trying to accomplish, being, you know, kind of uh, courteous and operating with high integrity, but still being kind of very straight to the point, which again, felt unnatural to me, but it, uh, it definitely worked. Yeah, it worked for them. And, and that's something I think that's really interesting that, that I've seen in my career is like, some of the other top reps from my days at Stripe sold in such a different way. I couldn't imagine saying the things that they did. Uh, I just remember one standout enterprise rep. And I was like, it sounds like you're interrogating them. Every discovery call or every new person you jump on with, I'm like, that would bug me so much. And maybe it did, but it led to the right outcome for both parties. Yeah. Uh, so it's so interesting. Yeah. When you, when you see that things, people do a bit differently. And I've definitely taken some of the things that he did that work for me and find they work every time. So love that. And, and I'll say it's the results that matter with an asterisk. I think as long as you're operating with high integrity, yeah. then it's just the results that, that matter. There's, there are those sales, you, you and I think both know those salespeople out there that maybe don't operate with as much integrity and that's where you've got to, as, as leaders, not get kind of blinded by, you know, high, high attainment percentages and stuff like that. If there's some underlying behavioral issues. Totally. Yeah. Definitely have the same assumption that we're talking about not doing the wrong things, but just things differently that lead to the right outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And, and before we get to the, the wrap up and the lightning round at the end, quick question about effectively working with prospects and customers. Curious to hear of your teams and, and your personal philosophy around how to build great partnerships and relationships with, uh, with your prospects and customers. Yeah, I mean, and it sounds basic, right? But it's like understand their problems and then map our solution to their problems. And sometimes that means that we're not the best solution and we should send them elsewhere or recommend that they stick with a homegrown solution. Mm -hmm. But I think so often, and it's it's actually been helpful to us in the space where we've got some legacy competitors where kind of very old school sales style, just going to kind of sling software at you, not really show you much of the product, but just sell through a deck and a reputation. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think those days are behind us in terms of just the way that people buy software now. So really got to do deep discovery, understand, empathize with whatever's going on, whether that's, you know, the brand new admin user for us, that's maybe six months out of school and it's their first gig managing commissions, mm -hmm. or it's the CFO that's overseeing a you know billion dollar business unit. Um, you can't skip that part because I think Today, people want to understand or want to see that you really understand their business and aren't just trying to, you know, get a quick close. Um, and I think through that, you really build rapport with customers. And that means that you're going to have the ability to explain to them why maybe we're going to be a more expensive solution or why, you know, why some of the things that they think that they need in a solution aren't actually going to serve the purpose they think it will. But without kind of building that rapport and really understanding what they're trying to accomplish, you're not going to get buy-in from, from the buyer and they're probably going to get that from one of your competitors. So 
can't really skip that part and just got to make sure that you understand what you're doing in terms of the questions that you're asking and what your solution really delivers. I think we're entering or we have entered this era where the sales reps that never touched the product, didn't know how to do a demo, just kind of march their SE in and out of calls. <laughs> they're just not going to be successful anymore. Totally. And it is funny that it sounds so basic, but I think probably in the vast majority of conversations that I've been the buyer since starting a core the last few years, it is rare where I feel like someone actually plays back what I've said. And they're so focused on either what their process is internally or what the thing is they're selling or trying to get the deal done that they actually miss. Like what will, like you said, drive the deal, which is what am I struggling with? What stage am I at in terms of thinking about you know, what am I doing today? What do I want to accomplish tomorrow? And mapping what they have to that. It's so, so rare. And the bar is pretty low, I think, for, for sales teams to come in and, and really like win, win the space with, with that great kind of exploration from the, from the sales rep. And I think sometimes they just look at your persona and make assumptions. Like for me, safe assumption, I'm a sales leader. All I care about is my revenue number. I don't care about, you know, an ROI. My P&L loses money. It doesn't matter. Like I'm burning cash. It's all about the revenue number. And I think that's a safe assumption. But you look at a CFO, they could think uh, much like that, or they mm -hmm. can be, you know, really focused on cost savings, even in a, you know, high burn, high growth company. So you've got to ask the questions and really dig deep and never assume because it's the assumptions that are the ones that really kill you more than not even asking the question anyway. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Every deal in person is very unique. You're selling to a human, you're not selling to a persona or a company. So that definitely resonates. Well, kind of along the same lines, curious to get your take on really overall the future of B2B sales at startups. Do you think we're moving more towards the world in which sales reps need to be these product experts? Like you said, you know, there's obviously the world of PLG. Where do salespeople play in this? Curious to get your thoughts on like what the one or two things that you're seeing these days kind of being the rest of the world in 23 and 24. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a little bit jaded on, on PLG. I think it's a, a great lead gen engine, but I don't know a successful PLG company that doesn't have a high-performing sales organization. So I don't think that PLG and sales are mutually exclusive. I do think that sales needs to move towards a more empathetic, consultative sales motion where, again, can't just kind of sling software at people anymore with a standard deck without really understanding how the, the solution is going to work in production. I think... Like I said, PLG is great for generating leads, but uh, yeah, some of the best PLG companies in the world have sales orgs with thousands of people. I think employees needing managers and you know, even I, I think of uh, the analogy with politics, there's, you can say whatever you want about lobbies in Washington, but the machine of the American political establishment would, would halt if they didn't have lobbies to really kind of educate them on issues, biased or not. So I think just like politicians need lobbies to, to really educate them and guide them through some of these processes, buyers are really always going to need sellers, if for no other reason than to prod them along, but also to educate them, make sure that they've got all the resources they need. And that honestly, they, they know what they're buying and they, in a world of SaaS, like everyone's worried about retention. Um, it's the sales reps that are going to make sure that, that should be making sure that it's good customers that are signing up for these solutions. No, I think that's a super fair take on the place of, of sales reps and product, I think there definitely is maybe a overextension into, you know, the excitement of PLG the last couple of years. But one thing I think, and you mentioned this before, is like the lever of the product or the salesperson to help the end customer understand what it actually does. And I think there's a great way 
not for every company, but for most companies to figure out a way to get their product in the customer's hands in some way, whether it's through, you know, the new world of the Nevadics and Walnuts and reprises of the world, even from the website, or if there's better recorded demos from the reps can send over, or it's a free trial, limited space, whatever it is. I think there's giving people more information in a curated way makes sense. But yes, that just giving someone everything doesn't make the most sense for every type of or most solutions really. So, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, um, it's like if you go to a, a restaurant and there's just a giant buffet, like if there's nobody telling you what the best things are, you might eat something that you really don't like. So you've got to really be kind of like guided through the process to make sure that you have the best experience possible. I love that analogy. And that's probably going to be the headline now for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> cool. Last few questions. I know we're almost at time here. We need one word or one sentence answers to these next few questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Cool. Most common misconception about sales? Uh, that it's slimy. It's, I think sales has been driving human innovation for at least the last 500 years. There's sliminess out there, but it's not all of us. Agreed. Favorite app or piece of software as a sales leader? It's a lazy one, but gong. It's such a no-brainer. Amen. An aspirational sales team to build yours after? Uh, I have to say full story. I think what Jamie's done over there has been incredible the last couple of years. Awesome. And lastly, hardest part of scaling sales at an early stage startup? Wasting time on things that you can't control, getting distracted from the things that you can and should be, uh, can't control and should be focused on. Awesome. Great answers. Cool. Well, appreciate you joining Christian, sharing some of your learnings and perspective with the world. Excited to hear folks' feedback from, from this session. And if people want to get in touch with you, I know you guys are hiring all the roles. Uh, what's the best way to, to get in contact? All the roles, Christian at CaptivateIQ.com. Find me on LinkedIn, apply, send me a note, whatever. Um, we're looking for great people all the time across the organization. So always love when folks reach out directly. Awesome. Well, appreciate the time, Christian. And uh, yeah, have a good one. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Ross. You're listening to Accords from Vendorship to Partnership. For more sales and startup insights like this, please be sure to subscribe here or at inaccord.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you.